Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And today we have the one and only Mr. Rob Commodore, Commodore, geez, um, on the show. Stay with us. We're going to hear Rob's story and talk about life. So stay with us. Be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Rob on. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me today. I'm honored to be here. Glad to have you here, man. So, hey, I started this about a little over five years ago. um, And it was literally to help people have a breakthrough in life that are are stuck. Um, And Probably because I was stuck at the time. There's my brother, Vinny Chopra. Vinny, good to see you. Um, so, wow, it's not every day we have a billionaire watching us. Vinny, <laughs> when I say that, he's not a billionaire yet, but he's got a billion in real estate. So, anyway, um, Rob, this is all about your story, your life, helping people get through the crap in life and and so that's what it's about so start with where you were born and raised i was born and raised in baltimore maryland uh, one of seven kids wow seven yeah seven lucky number seven where did you fall in line i was number three so i was that kid that uh, needs he needs attention right because he's in the middle <laughs> yeah 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 i get that so, so what was it like for you growing up in a house of, of seven kids? Well, I mean, we grew up initially in a two bedroom house, 745 square feet with one bathroom. My dad worked three jobs and uh, it was, it was, it, it was tight. We were cozy. Let me put it that way. Right. Wow. But, uh, you know, with that many of us, uh, you could imagine there was many a days where we didn't get along. <laughs> I and, would imagine. Yeah, yeah, so but you had to make your way and uh if you wanted something you had to go get it. Wow. So when so so growing up with I mean was it how, how like what was the ratio boys to girls? Yeah, four boys, three girls. At one point we had a, a double bunk beds in a room with the four all four boys in one room. So you couldn't tell what color the, the carpet what color the carpet was or if it was hardwood floors because you couldn't see anything. It was so congested and covered up with all our stuff. Oh my gosh. Now, how long was how long did you live in that that house like that? Well, the first house we were there, I guess, it was a about about I want to say eight, nine, ten years, something like that, and then we moved into a three bedroom house with a bath and a half. And oh uh, wow, that, <laughs> that made it a little more comfortable, right? Moving on up, yeah, yeah moving on up. <laughs> wow, and this is all in Baltimore. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now you said Baltimore City. Is that is that what I hear people say? Is that it's Baltimore, right? Baltimore City, one of the most dangerous cities in the country. <laughs> okay, but it's just Baltimore. Why does everybody say Baltimore City? Uh, because there's you have Baltimore City and Baltimore County, and that's why you hear that. Oh, and Baltimore City's know. not part of Baltimore County. Got it. Okay, I got it. So, um, okay, so. When you, um, so when you like, you went to school there, high school, is that where you graduated high school? Yeah. So for, when you talk about Maryland, I mean, when somebody brings up Maryland, that area and somebody says, yeah. where'd you go to school? The high school always comes up. So yeah. So I, like I said, seven kids, there was four boys, three girls. I was number, th- I was number three in the order. And we didn't, we didn't know we were poor. We didn't know we were poor. Right. And uh, we just had a lot of love there uh, from my mom and dad. My dad worked three jobs. And so I started working at age 11. I started delivering that Baltimore Sun newspaper. I was up 4 a.m. every morning, delivering newspaper, I, I go to school, come back home, serve papers again, go back to school and play sports, come home, knock on doors and try to collect money. And uh, so wow. I paid my way through Catholic high school and paid my way through college. Wow. 
Boom. You there? I'm here. I'm here. I didn't hear you. Did you hear? I said on your own. You paid for all that on your own. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. Good for so, you, man. Yeah. Interesting uh, growing up that way. You know what? And, and I, I would do it all over again with what I learned. And I, I guess that work ethic that you that you um, develop over the over time. And yeah. you know, watching my dad work three jobs to support seven kids. Yeah. Yeah. So when when you got out of high school, what did you go to college? Yeah. So I, I went. Baseball was my gig. I love baseball. I lived in a family and, and, and immediate family and extended family of soccer players. My dad's from Italy. Uh, he came over in, I guess, in 1950 it was. And wow. uh, I was a baseball guy. So I, I played college, junior college baseball in Baltimore for a couple of years. And then I got a partial scholarship to play baseball uh, at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. So I got to say this on a funny note, you know, uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, is Higher by Creed. And they talk about the like golden streets, take me to a place for the gold streets. Yeah. So, Went from Baltimore City, where there was a bunch of trash on the streets, to Boca Raton, Florida, where those streets are golden. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. How yeah. long were you in Florida? Four years. Uh, so I had a okay. partial scholarship to play ball, and I, and I had two years of eligibility, but I got hurt the first year. So I got a medical hardship. So I, I did three years of school there, graduated, wow. and stayed another year and made my way home. Wow. So, okay, so playing ba- what, what position did you play in baseball? Center field. Okay. Wow. Okay. I played outfield too. <laughs> Put I had me in an coach. Arm. Yeah. I had an arm. Did you? So, oh yeah. Yeah. So, so when, when, um, when you came back what, and what kind of degree did you get? I had a finance degree and, and people okay. probably asking why on earth would you leave Boca and come back to Baltimore? <laughs> well, I, that, I was getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, like I said, I graduated in 1990, so I stayed there next year, and it was it, it was a fun year, experiencing some work down there, and and uh, let's call it extracurriculars down there. It was pretty pretty fun, uh, the nightlife and whatnot. And yeah. I, I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? If I stay down here, this is not going to do me well. And uh, I figured oh. it's time to pull the plug and come on home. Just partying. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I worked, put it this way, I worked, uh, I, I got a job as a stockbroker, by the way, we were called stockbrokers back then, right out of college, and I worked in uh, North Palm Beach, a place called, it was called Hibber Brown, penny, heavy penny stock thing, right, and I was like, yeah. I, I learned quick what penny stocks were all about, and if you ever seen the movie Boiler Room, it's a great yeah. example of that, and I, I was the guy hiding under the desk making the calls, but uh, anyway, so then after wow. that, I, I left when I came to see what that was really about. I left there and I, and I started working in nightclubs and I was valet parking cars at three different uh, restaurants, nightclubs and whatnot. And you'd work till you'd work till two, three in the morning. And then you go to the after hours bars and they had the black glass and you, you, you come out, it'd be 730 in the morning. and You get hit with the sun and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's daylight. Wow. <laughs> and you were working. I was working and then having fun after that. Oh, got it. Got it. Wow. Yeah. That that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a terrible way to live. (laughs) Not at 22. (laughs) No. Yeah. Right. 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 So, so you, but you had the, um, maturity, I guess, to realize that, that that was going to lead to nowhere. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fascinating because like, look, uh, we're, we're at nightclubs and there's a lot of stuff going on. You're in Boca. There's a lot of money. So you can yeah. imagine what, when you have the things that are going on down there and you start meeting people. And then uh, me and a buddy of mine, we were, uh, we, we, we were like, we felt like we were almost, everybody was coming to us. Hey, can we do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? You know? And like, this is a road to, to, to bad news. Right. Yeah. And yeah. um Again, you just wake up one morning and said, this is not good if I stay this, if I stay here in this, in this light, because you love the attention. Don't get me wrong. Right. You love the attention sure. and uh, you can thrive on it or, or you can you know, dwell in it, let your ego take the best, of, you know, take the best of you and, and go down the wrong path. So, so you go back to Baltimore. Did you, did you go back and get your own place? What, 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 how did that play out? Well, I, I, uh, 
I came back home to my home with the, the house that had three bedrooms and one bed. So now I'm, okay. you know, now I'm 22, 23 years old at the time. Come back there, live there a little bit, but I, I couldn't stay there. So uh, I hooked up with a college buddy of mine and he let me stay in his house for a year or so. And then I hooked up with a, my cousin, stayed with him for a little bit and got a job at uh, T-Row Price, downtown Baltimore. And again, I'm, uh, now I'm home. It's uh, God, 1990. I came home in October of 91. And uh, so now we're 92. This will give you a little more uh, insight into like you heard me talk about yeah. paying for high school and college as a kid. So I get home and can uh, I left Florida. I left Boca Raton with $53 in my checking account, and about $30,000 in debt. So wow. I came home and I'm like, I'm working. I'm going to work as much as I can work. So I'm delivering newspapers again, helping a buddy of mine out. I'm, I'm parking cars at, at a Japanese restaurant and I'm working at T-Bird Price, making a grand total of about 30 grand. And, T- what uh, are you calling it? T-Bird T row price. It's the, oh, uh, T row price. Got it. Yeah. So what I got that Italian t- in me. I talk. I talk. A what is T row price? I've heard of that. It's a mutual fund investment company. Okay. Okay. I got you. What were you doing there? Selling on the phone. So starting out, I was a mutual fund representative. I was just taking calls and helping people with their mutual funds, what was invested in what, so on and so forth. And then after that, I went into retirement plan services. So okay. learn how to help people with the different retirement plans. And then I finished off there as a discount stockbroker. Wow. Okay. And how long were you there? Four years. Uh, and while I was there, Ken, I, I, a buddy of mine who I was helping with the newspapers, an opening came out with what they call agencies. So I started delivering. I actually owned a route or an agency while I was working at Timber Price. So for eight months, I was sleeping about two and a half hours a night. I would, I would, get up at 1.30 in the morning. I deliver the newspapers, come home, take a quick nap, end up at T-Row Price at about 8.30 in the morning, work till five and repeated it over and over again for about eight months until I felt comfortable leaving the uh, T-Row Price world and, and just delivering newspapers on its own. Wow. So so when you, um, you left there, you were, a, 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 what's your title, I guess? Stock? stockbroker or what was what was the title at that point at timber price i was a discount stockbroker okay okay is that that's a thing it's not just stockbroker i was a i was a stockbroker but at a discount firm so to speak got it got okay okay i feel i feel some wolf of wall street stuff coming on here (laughs) oh well that was that was at the penny stock firm in florida that's what that was like (laughs) yeah yeah so so um where did things go from there after you left t row price so I, I became what I call tell people was a professional paper boy. And uh, so I had, I had 3000 customers. I had 16 people working for me again, up every night, one 32 o'clock in the morning and doing paper uh, routes. I was doing paper routes. That was, wow. that was 20. It was in 1994 when I took my paper route. I, I go, I go into downtown Baltimore. I buy a brand new pickup truck, go into downtown Baltimore. I pull up at the corner of, for people who know the area, Light Street and Heath Street. And Ken, I'm telling you, 60 to 70% of the houses were boarded up, right? And I'm like, wow. what did I just get myself into? I got rid of the coat and tie, got my my hoodie, my baseball cap, and my pickup truck, and I'm delivering newspapers, right? Oh but the money God. was better. The money was three, four times better. I can tell you that. Wow. And then uh, wow. and if you want to keep going, that led to real estate because – I watched the transformation of downtown Baltimore. I, I saw like these boarded windows coming down and new windows going in, yeah. form stone coming off the walls and new pointed brick going up. And I see these signs on people's houses every day at different, you know, it'd be like four, three or four popular names that kept coming up on these signs. So I started getting a little interested in that. And, and at one point, uh, my wife got pregnant with our second child. And I'm like, you know what? I'll, I told my wife, I said, I want you to be a stay at home mom. You do that. I'll continue to do this newspapers, but I'm going to get my real estate license. And that's how I got into real estate after that. Wow. Okay. So did, is that, did you give up the paper route? It took me about two years to let go of that uh, safety net. Cause it was, it was, it, look, I'm not going to kid you. Can people think paper boy, how much money can you make? I'm talking, we, it was, this was 1994, 95 at the time. My first full year in the newspaper business, delivering newspapers, I made $125,000. No kidding. And people are like, how the heck did you do that? Well, if I guess part of the hustle, I guess as you can 
you could probably surmise by how I lived. Um, where I was in Southeast Baltimore with the newspaper business, it was a bad area. And what they do, they had this non-pay credit that they would give you. So they expected most of the people wouldn't pay their bill. So they gave you, they gave you like a bonus or they gave you a subsidy to cover that. Well, me, wow. I'm like, I'll take the subsidy and I'm going to go knock on doors. I'm going to go get the money. <laughs> so wow. I, I would, I would, I would knock on the door. So I'm like, okay, this is pretty darn cool. I'll be a professional paper boy. Keep bringing me to six figures. Wow. That's pretty crazy, dude. So then, but you got into real estate and when you say real estate, do you mean real estate investing or becoming a realtor? A combination of the two. Uh, I actually got my license and I got my license for the purpose of trying to get, I being having the in and getting, you know, getting properties to be an investor. And, I did a few. I, I did a few. But then uh, what happened is I just I, I just had that go get it mentality. And I just started telling everybody, hey, I, I'm I'm your paper boy and I want to be your realtor, too. <laughs> right. So imagine me coming to you and you got this house and I'm like, hey, Ken, I'm, I know I deliver your newspapers, but I want to help sell your most precious asset in your life, your your house. Uh, you know, you think of paper boy, realtor, you know, they don't mix. Right. Right. But, um. But anyway, so, but I started, I kept asking people, I kept asking, I kept asking, I kept asking, and I had the safety net of the newspaper business that if it, people said no, it didn't matter. I was still making that other money. And then finally I set a goal, December 31st, 1993, or no, I'm sorry, December 31st, 2003, that I was going to step away from uh, the, the newspaper business and, and work solely in uh, real estate. Wow. And where did it go from there? Did you, where did things go for you from in, in real estate? Uh, it was, I mean, look, the, the, I had a coach, I had a business coach and he yeah. told me, I'll never forget it. He said, Rob, you will double your income in real estate the moment you walk away from the other business. And I, and I failed to mention in that time frame, I also had a cigar business. I had a cigar business for about three years. I sold cigars out of my wow. dining room, Ken, out of my dining room. And uh, wow. the, the first year I sold cigars, we sold $150,000 worth of cigars out of my dining room. Now they make 150,000, but I sold 150,000. How cigars. were you get? were you importing them? How, how were you getting, or were you mate rolling them yourself? <laughs> I, I was rolling them. No, I wasn't rolling them. <laughs> wow. Um, I would, again, it's all about the relationship, building relationships. So I started calling around the country, some wholesalers, and you build relationships with the person you're on the phone with. And, and over time, you know, I would call and get the, hey, what's your brand? What's the hot brand today? And back then, Macanuda was the was the real pop uh, Macanudo was the real popular cigar and yep. uh, when the Macanudos come in hey get me as many as you can and so again developing these relationships they were the, these three different uh, distributors would call me hey Rob we got Macanudos this week I can get you four cases I can get you six cases and then uh so I would get them wholesale and then we would turn around and go to liquor stores golf courses uh, and I initially had two partners in this by the way I don't want to shortchange that but uh, uh, but we go to golf courses liquor stores raw bars and grills and we'd sell them a four cylinder if you will a four six cylinder um, uh, humidor yeah. and then if you got a four six cylinder humidor guess what you got to buy cigars to fill it yeah. and so we did that I did that for three years and I, I bought my my partners out after the first year and, and then wow. Uh, did it for two more years, and I and I sold that. It was it was at the height of the cigar boom then, and then it yeah. kind of slowly tailed off. So I didn't make much when I sold it, but it was a great experience uh, just being involved in that. And then again, uh, to answer your original question, that the real estate doubled. It did double, like yeah. my coach suggested it would. And you know now I've been in real estate business for twenty two years. Wow, that's crazy. So you. It sounds to me like you have a a difficult time um, meeting new people and talking to them. Oh, it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're my wife just said it. You are one heck of a salesman. I mean, you've done a lot of different things. So, so talk about because I know you've written a book, right? Yes, sir. Okay, right behind uh, it. <laughs> yep, yep. Do you have a copy of your book with you? I certainly do. Okay. So here, let me give you full screen, show the book better than you think developing awareness for a more fulfilling life. So, so talk about this book. Uh, you, you, um, 
Why did you write this book? Yeah, Ken, that's a, a great question. Interesting story. Uh, I'm a, I was a spiritual guy. I was brought, born and raised Catholic, and I, I was because I had to back then. Yeah. And because uh, that's the way you're raised. And there was a point in time where I was, I just graduated from college and I was at the, the penny stock firm and a buddy of mine uh, who was straight off the boat from Cuba a year earlier, I was, you know, we were in uh, cubicles. And uh, one morning I get in there, I'm the first guy in, the first guy in, the last guy out because I had a 1978 LTD2 vinyl seats and no air conditioning to drive 40 miles each way to work when I graduated from college. Wow. So uh, so I was all hot and sweaty, so I'd wear shorts there and I'd change into my suit and tie when I was there and nobody could see me. So anyway, I was the first guy in and, and next to me on the, in the, on the guy's desk, he had this book the greatest salesman in the world by Ogmandino. And Ken, I asked him if I could read that book. I wrote, I read it that night. I went to the library in the bookstore the next day. I bought all my, all Ogmandino's books and I just became a voracious reader over time. But what was interesting is that when I would read these books, they all quote scripture or they say they quote scripture. And I'm like, let me see if this is true. So I would pull out my Bible while I was reading the personal growth and development book. And I look at a scripture quote in the, in the personal growth and development book. And I'm like, OK, let me flip to Matthew chapter seven, you know, verse 10. And I'm like, holy cow, they, they're, they're, they're being honest. They have some integrity. Right. And right. Uh, so that got me really dialed into reading more scripture. So over time, you know, I've read spiritual books, personal growth and development books, business books, and I've read over a thousand books over the last 20 or 30 years. And um, so I, there was a point in time back in uh, 2001 when I'm like, you know what? I, I, something's on my heart says I need to write a book and just share, share what I've learned. And uh, I was one of those guys that had that, the, uh, the imposter syndrome, uh, yep. like, who am I to think somebody's going to want to read my book or who am I to think I can be an author? And, and who do I think somebody's going to want to listen to anything I say? So it took me, I wrote the goal in 2001. I, I wrote my first chapter in 2005, put it down. Cause I didn't think I was good enough, smart enough Then I wrote another chapter in nine, two more wow. chapters in 14. And then finally uh, I had the, I had a buddy call me out and I started, I started, really put in 2017, I committed to writing a book and I, fin I finished writing it in June of 20 of, of 2017. And I took about 14 edits and cause I had in my real estate business, so I couldn't focus on this right. every night, got right. published in November of 2019. So, okay. Talk about your real estate business a little bit because are you like a broker or are you an agent for a broker? How, how did that all pan out for you? So I'm an agent and I've always been an agent. I'm not, I have my broker's license. So okay. if you if you have your broker's license at, a, at, a, at an office or at a company and you're not the broker, you're an associate broker. So, Got it. so I'm, I'm a, an associate broker with a small team. Okay. Is it is it a independent or one of the big ones that y'all are affiliated with? Right now, I'm affiliated with EXP Realty. Oh, okay, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, the fastest growing one in the country. Yeah, they're huge. So, um, so you just what go out and list properties? Find what? How, how do you grow a real estate business for people that are watching? I I'm, I have a lot of realtors in my, in my life. So, um, how, how do you grow a real estate business and stay in it for 22 years? That's a long time. Oh yeah. Believe me, there's days you wake up and say, you know, when am I going to be done with this? Right. There's days. Yeah. Yeah. But, sure. um, yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I get, I have a coach, so I, I been getting coached for 20 plus of those years. And yeah. His name's Brian Buffini. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug him or not, but uh, I'm sure a lot of your realtor friends may know the name, but I've been following his system and his program for all those years. And it's about doing business uh, by referral. And that means building relationships. And so, I mean, yeah. is, is, I guess, mundane or redundant as it can be, people might think, you know, what's the secret? What's the secret sauce? What's the secret to the whole system? And it's simple yeah. again. It's, it's make calls write yep. notes and go see people. Yep. That's it. Not tough. No. Do you know Glenn Bill? No, I don't. He's, he's a, he's a big real estate trainer and coach client and friend of mine. 
who watches quite often actually the show. So hey, Glenn, if you're watching, um, and he's with the XP as well. So out of cool. out of in Indianapolis, a lot of people. Laura, another friend, and class. Don't forget us. What's STR buyer? What's that mean? STR buyers out here. Yeah, I don't know that either. I think she had a typo. Laura, is that a typo? Um, so, so what now? Now, when you published your book, you said in 2017 you published it. 2019. All oh, 2019. Um, oh, she said short-term rental buyers, short-term rental. Yeah, I mean, everybody's a prospective client. I mean, I'm not going to forget it. I'm assuming Laura means she wants to rent short-term. She buys she buys places to rent out short-term. Oh, oh. Airbnbs, Airbnbs. Okay, okay. She's got a bunch of them. I, well, I don't know about a bunch, but she, I know she has a couple, two or three of them that in uh, Florida actually. So, okay. Um, and she's in Michigan, unfortunately me being from Ohio, <laughs> uh, uh, but I, we love Laura. She's amazing. So, so, so talk about you published the book and I can relate to this, the, I can relate to the, the, the imposter syndrome thing. Um, she says easy text. <laughs> I moved to Dallas. She starts calling me Tex. Um, but so, so talk about the, um, the, when you publish the book and, and, and all that feeling of the, the insecureness of, 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 you know, not feeling good enough, smart enough, nobody's going to buy it. Who wants to read it? Nobody's going to want to read this. What was that like for you right when you published it? Yeah, I can. We had everything finished. I was going through my last edit. And I remember one night saying to my wife, I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I want to finish, follow through with this. I don't know if I really want to publish this right now. Mm. And, and it was a matter of one, feeling the insecurity. And because it's real at that point, it's real. It's going out there. And I, I bear my soul in this, in this book. It's not an autobiography, but it's just stories and lessons of things I've learned and maybe resonate with you and what you could learn from what you didn't know you, you experienced through the book with a story that resonates with you. It's kind of really, I mean, I can be biased and say my book's awesome, but anyway, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's just, it's, uh, you know, they, I said to my wife, I don't, know if, I don't know if I want to go through with this. And I'm like, you know what? She goes, Rob, she goes, you've done all this work. You've come all this way. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks at this point, because at the end of the day, I wrote the audio, the book for an audience of one to share with others. And so if that yeah. audience of others, is only one other person, that's okay. I did what I needed to do is, is to get that out there and put that in writing and, and be able to share it. So yeah. uh, she helped me get over that hump. So, so what did you did? Well, how did it do? Well, I, I mean, look, I'm not a, I, I hit, if I remember correctly, I hit bestseller on Amazon, like religious or one of those categories for, for an hour, for one hour. Sure. <laughs> That's all I needed. Right. For one all hour. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think I've sold, I thought people are going like, this is nothing, but this is my security talking right now. I sold 4,000 copies. Right. So I'm like, they, they say most self-publishers are lucky to sell a thousand books. Right. But yeah. I, I'm happy with it. Um, I'm, you know, I got to use that to go forward, which is we talked a little bit about what I really have a passion for is, is, is speaking and writing. So I want to, I'm going to use that for more of that. So, so I have an, a, a, a pretty big audience that's, you know, not a lot watch it live, but um, we get a lot of replay views. So pretend that, well, you don't need to pretend it's, it's real. Pretend you, or, well, let's say you have an audience right now of about a hundred and 50,000 people that may watch probably not that many, but, um, what's your message when you, when you want to, when you want to get on stage and you want to speak, what, what is it that you want to want people to hear? Not, 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 I know you, I think well enough to know that it's not, Hey, look how great I am. Um, it's, it's, Hey, here's a mirror. Look how great you are. What, what do you say to people to, when, when you get on stage? Yeah. You know, it's really cool 
Ken, when I think about the question you just asked, like I'm sitting here I'm across from my wall where I have a big whiteboard where I created yeah. this book from. And yeah. I had one word chapter titles and it ended up being 16 chapters in the book. And each under each chapter title is a story that I experienced. Right. And, and, and I look and I, there's like 60 stories. Like, and I might say like uh, seasons of life story with my best man. Uh, it might be my son's, my daughter's skiing story. It might be losing $450,000 story. Right. And what I want the message, like, I didn't think I was smart enough, good enough or anybody was going to read my stuff. But in the, in hindsight, I can sit here and tell you that you have a story. I have a story. We all have stories. And if we took the time, if we really took the time to look back on our stories of our life. And, and, and like, I used these 16 words that help yeah. me bring the stories to life. And if we really, if we take a look at that and we take a journey in our life amongst the years that have gone by, what are the victories? What are lessons learned? Who mentored us? Uh, uh, what failures did we have? And then was, was the hand of Providence involved, involved at that time? So I take these stories, what lessons did I learn and how can I go forward with them? So if everybody could take a look and take the time to just put their own stories down in writing and just look at them and then sit back and take a look at their life in paper and on paper, I should say, and, and I'll take it a step further and even imagine seeing your story on the big screen. And I can give you an example of something that I did that was on the big screen and what Ken, before I titled the book, I, I was going back and forth with the uh, the uh, publisher and editor, and she's right. like, I need I need a title, I need a title, and I gave her forty two titles that she didn't approve of. She was like, she liked some, didn't like others, needed a little more of this, a little bit of that. Right. And so I'm like, this is my book, I can title what I want, but but I had a moment, and I, the whole book I, I'll share with you was guided for me by the Holy Spirit. And I had a moment when I was struggling with this this title, and I came into this room I'm sitting at right now, and I'm looking at this board, and I'm like come on, Holy Spirit, talk to me, talk to me. And I'm looking at the board and all of a sudden I just welled up with emotion and I'm looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at 60, 65 stories on this board and my life is better than I thought it was. It was so much better than I thought it was. And I'm like, that gave me the title better than you think. Yeah. And I'm not here to tell you your life is better than you think. I'm here to tell you that you need to figure it out how good your life really is by seeing your story and, 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 and like, because let's face it, Ken, everybody has tragedy, turmoil, struggles, challenges, but yeah. there's a silver lining. There is a silver lining in every, if you want to call it bad experience or every experience that you've had, be it good or bad. Yeah. And what's the silver lining you can take out? And so that's the message, man. Take, live your, look at your story and be so appreciative of how good life really has been to you, even through the, the tough times. That's awesome. That reminds me of a Joe Walsh song. <laughs> Life's been good to me so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great tune. Great tune. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, okay. And that's all that, you know, um, there's so many, so many speakers. There's, I'm a speaker, you're a speaker. And, you know, what is it that really, what do you think really makes you separate you from, from others when it comes to getting on stage? And because what, you know, I've had some amazing people on the show as, as you and I talked about. Um, and I asked Brian Tracy when he was on, I said, you know, cause he's like, write it down, write it down, write it down. And, and I said, you know, Brian, people are going to hear all of this stuff about, that you're saying about um, writing it down and, and, you know, the, the positive affirmations and, you know, all that stuff. And they know you're right. They know that that's what's going to change their life is if they start doing those things. But the majority of people won't actually do it. They will not take the action necessary to change the, the trajectory of their life. They'll be given an opportunity that may require an investment and they'll ignore it because they're afraid to invest. They, they'll be, they know they need to get out that piece of paper and start writing stuff down, but they're going to ignore it. They're not going to do it. How do you get people to change? And Brian said, you can't. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Well, crap. What? That's not the answer I was looking for. What do you think? What, uh, you know, is, is, is there a message you deliver from stage or in person that's, that's going to motivate people to really make a big leap and change in their life? Yeah. You know, it's like you said, you know, every, there's a lot of people in this, the speakers, the personal growth industry to the world that have the same message packaged a different way. Right. And right. what's going to set me aside. Look, what I, what I'll sit here and tell you is like, I, I'm, I'm, deeply convicted in my faith. And I trust that, you know, God's going to uh, guide me along here. And I just, uh, what I feel in my heart of hearts is that when people see me in front of them, I just, I feel like I have an ability to connect. Like so many people have read my book and they said, Rob, when, when I read your book, I feel like I'm sitting across from, from you at a coffee table. We're just having a discussion. And so many people give content, 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 and they jam it down your throat and say, do this and you'll succeed. I just want to connect with people. I want people to how many people live shallow lives like, okay, I made a lot of money, but I'm not fulfilled, right? I want people to be fulfilled with their story, with their message, with their identity, because people get caught up in what they have, who they are, what the job title is. And, and if that all goes away, who are you? Who are you? And if you know who you are, you can live a life of fulfillment. And it's like some might be bouncing around here, but the what may it's I think it's the conviction, it's the heart, it's I want to be the example. I'm a kid from Northeast Baltimore, for God's sake, that didn't have a pot to piss in it, and at age eleven started working. And you know, I'm not and I quote unquote there yet because there is no such place as there and there's no such place as perfection, but yeah. I'm not where in a place where I've hit my full potential, nor will I ever be. But I'm always working to be better today than I was yesterday. And I tell this, I tell people this, Ken, it's God, I laugh at it all the time when I say this. If I die today, tomorrow, or next year, next five years, the last thing I want somebody to say at my funeral during the eulogy is say, man, it's such a shame Rob left us too early. He had way too much potential in him. And I, if that happens, when I'm in my coffin, I'm jumping out of my coffin. I'm running up to the pulpit. I'm going to choke that guy because I want to be out of gas. Right. I want to be out of gas when I die. I want you to be out of gas. I don't want anybody that, that connects with yeah. me. I want, I want them to want the most for themselves, not for me, but for themselves. So when you, when you um, look at step back and look at the real estate industry, being a realtor there are i mean there's there's so many realtors it's it's crazy um and and companies like exp ha have actually taken that to a whole new level uh, like there are people becoming realtors that never thought about becoming realtors you know until exp came along and, and so my, my question is, because the average realtor, I think, makes around $8,000 a year, right? It's not a lot. It's, in, it's insane. It's like $8,000. I just had this conversation the other day with somebody. And, and, and it's like, okay, if that's the case, I mean, you don't look like a guy that makes $8,000 a year. You look like you might be doing a little better than that. What is the difference? You're like, yeah, a little. Bit. Um, what's what's the difference between somebody making eight thousand dollars a year, and I know realtors making in the millions a year? How, what's the difference? What's the differentiator for you? Is it just personality, looks? Is it is it? What is it? What's the the it factor in the real estate world? My personal opinion is it's two things. It's commitment and discipline. You make a mm. commitment to do something you want to do, achieve something you want to achieve, attain something you want to obtain or do it. it maybe the, maybe the money's not the answer. Maybe you want to do something with the money of significance with somebody. But so you got to make that commitment. And then again, the, the, it's discipline. It is discipline. You'd laugh at me if I told you my daily schedule. It's No, it's I want to hear it. I want to hear your daily schedule. Tell everybody. I mean, look, I'm not in the military. My dad was, but I'm not, and I'm not a military guy, but um, uh, I, I, I'm pretty militant, pretty militant in, in how our discipline, how my day goes. I get up pretty much five o'clock every morning. 
Uh, first thing I'll do is well, I'll go to the bathroom first, but then I, I, I go to, I get up, I, I, I get, I got a prayer chair here. So I read scripture, then I meditate, then I journal, and then I come over to my desk. I look at my day and then I write eight personal notes every single day. I'm, I'm finished with that. I go down, I take my dog for a walk. I make a shake for myself, you know, protein shake. Then I'll go work out. I'll read for 20 minutes and I get my shower and I'm out the door. And by eight o'clock every morning, Ken, I've wow. pretty much won my day except for some appointments that I might have, some calls I got to make and fires to put out. But other than that, eight o'clock every morning, I'm like, I've won. Wow. Eight personal notes. What's that mean? So the handwritten personal note is a lost art, right? Yeah. So I, I write, I was taught through the coaching company is you need to write notes to people. We take our most precious commodity, our time, and we invest it in our clients and, and other people. And we write them a handwritten personal note because let's face it. If you got an envelope today from somebody and it had a label on it and it had a labeled uh, return address, odds are you think it's junk mail and it's going right into the can, trash can. Yeah. But if you get an envelope that's got your name handwritten on it, you're more than likely going to open it. Right. And so, you know, I, I write notes of all sorts like, hey, Ken, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Or Joe, hey, it was great to meet you at the event the other day. Uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, you know sharing your ideas with me or sharing the idea that, you know, your kid tell me a story, your kid scoring a goal or, hey, great to hear your son learn how to ride a bike or whatever. Something like that. And um, yeah. You know, I've been in prison before and, and not, as a guest, by the way. Oh, like, <laughs> wow, we need to hear that story. <laughs> as a guest, I might add, right? And right, uh, okay. and I had a, I had an inmate write me a note and how he was wow. impacted by the presentation. Wow. Personal notes are personal handwritten notes are lost art. And I think when yeah. you invest your time into people and you show them they, that you care, they're going to respond to that. That's phenomenal. That's a great answer. Great, great, great answer. So, so what, um, what do you think? See, I've, I've been, um, I've been broken, homeless, sleeping in my car and I've been wealthy and I bring this up quite often. Wealthy is better by far, way better. And, and, you know, there's this, um, this programming that we all, all receive as children from priests and nuns and preachers and rabbis and parents and, and, you know, people that are, that probably mean well, some people maybe not, but, but most people I think mean well, but, you know, they teach us things like the love of money is the root of all evil. And they teach us things like, you know. Um, and, and I, I heard, um, I heard, um, somebody, I forget who it was, break it down the, the, the camel through the eye of a needle scripture. Um, really, really, um, incredible the way it was broken down. But, you know, when you think about the programming that you receive, that, that other people receive, what do you think it is that holds people back in life from having it all. And I'm talking about financial wealth, well-being, whatever you want to call it, um, and and true joy and happiness in life, which I think they're related. Because I'm telling you, man, it's hard to be happy when you can't pay your bills or eat. Right. It's very difficult. So what do you think is stopping people in life, Rob? Yeah, I think people get in their own way sometimes. And I think that we allow some of our BS stories to take hold of us and says, we can't do this. We're not able to do that. You know, who do you think you are? That whole imposter syndrome thing. So what holds people back is, you know, getting in their own way and, and lack of commitment, lack of discipline. And like you talk about the, the whole money thing, right? We grow up with that. You know, some of us, you know, were brought up that way. And yeah. When, when I think about that, there's, there's there's two things that come to mind. There's there's the parable of the talents. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's, it's a scripture thing or, you know, I could share the brief summary of it. But or it, it's also it, it's the love of money that gets people into trouble. Right. Not the money itself. But if I have this potential to do something and to do something well 
And if I'm blessed with the opportunity to make a lot of money at, at doing that and doing that, and then use that to help others, create a foundation, something charitable, and then I choose not to do it, then I think you failed. So I think ego can get in the way as well. Because our ego says, you know, uh, like there's there's two types of ego. There's a higher ego and lower ego. The higher ego says I'm better than everybody. The lower ego says I'm not good enough. The lower right. ego says, you know, hey, I, you go first, not because I think I'm good and I want everybody else to go in front of me because I don't think I'm good enough to even be out there. So I think our ego, our lower ego can get in the way of holding us back from reaching that full potential to be significant in other people's lives. Wow. Okay. What about somebody that's feels like they've tried everything, like they've given everything that they have. They, they just, and thank you, Eric Flanoy, pastor, Eric Flanoy. He's a buddy of mine. Um, he, it was Myron Golden that broke down. That's who it was. So good. Um, where he broke down the camel going through the eye of a needle. Yeah. So good. Such a great video. It's on YouTube. You should check it out. Um, so good. But, you know, I, I can remember back in, um, I don't know what year it was, 2011 or 12 or something. My wife and I had our, our office fairly new to working together and having our first office and a handful of employees. My car got repoed in front of all my employees. <laughs> and, and that was <laughs> a horrible day. And I can remember thinking, what, what's the point? Why even go on from here? I mean, what's the point? And, and I had lost all hope. And there are people, I mean, especially during the pandemic and, you know, suicide rates skyrocket and everything was, was, was bad. And people, people had gave up. They, they, people had given up on life. And, and so if somebody called you and they said, Rob, I have tried everything and I don't know which way to go. And I don't, I don't even see the point of moving on anymore. What would you say to that person to help them get through to the next moment? So the, the, the word that comes to mind when you first, it, it, I guess define this word not nihilism or nihilism where you don't think it's worth doing anything, right? It's not yeah. worth trying anymore. It's not worth why should I do all this when I'm gonna die anyway, right? And if, if somebody says to me, you know, hey, it's not worth anymore, my my I guess first question is what do you really want in life? What do you really want? And what are you really willing to pay the price for to get that? Right. And it doesn't have to be a material thing. And it can be a intrinsic thing, but if, if it's freedom, if it's joy, if it's fulfillment, you know, right. if that's what you really want. Okay, don't you? I can see her tell you, don't give up. You can't give up. It's are you enjoying the journey of what you're learning along the way? We all know the Jim Rohn you know, quote. You know, it's not about becoming. It's 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 not about becoming a millionaire. It's about who you become along the way. So, you know, if so, I would ask questions like, are you enjoying the journey? Are you are you learning anything along the way, or trying to accomplish this goal or, or the next thing? Or you just focused on the, the, the finish line? Because if you're focused on the finish line, you're not really living in fulfillment of what's going on along the way. So maybe if you change the perspective, if that's what you were struggling with, if you change the perspective of instead of the finish line, what am mm. I learning along the way? You might find a little more hope. Mm. Love that, man. I love that. So what's what? Uh, before we end this, what are the what's the final message you have for everybody listening or watching um, the replay viewers? And by the way, for those of you who've shared this out, thank you for sharing this. Um, what what um, what's your final words to, to everybody watching and, and listening right now, Rob? Interesting question. Never, never thought about uh, what you're going to ask me that, but I'm sitting here thinking, you know, what, what I want people to know walking away from here. And, and it's like, get to know you, 
Get to know who you are instead of worrying about what everybody, who everybody else is and what they've accomplished. Get to know you and, and dig deep and to find out what are your unique gifts and abilities that you've been blessed with, that you've been burying in fear of what others think or in fear of maybe becoming too successful. Don't bury those talents because if, if you bury your talent or your ability, somebody, God's going to give them to somebody else. And you're going to lose that talent. Get Amen. to know you. Yeah, get to know you. Amen. How can everybody? What's I, I didn't I didn't even ask you up front. What's your website address? It's robcommodoreauthor.com. Rob Commodore M O D A R I Author dot com dot com. Right there. Is that there it? There you go. That's it. That's it. Okay. So is that where is your social media all linked from there as well? I'm a work in progress, as my chisel podcast will tell you. So I'm working on that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, where is are you on all the social medias? The Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on all those avenues. Just look me up under Rob Commodore and you'll find me. Okay. YouTube. YouTube everywhere. You're everywhere. Love that. Yeah, yeah Love I'm in the process of getting chiseled there, Ken. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. That's awesome. So Rob, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights and your wisdom today. And um, everybody watching, follow this guy, go to go. Well, don't go to his website looking for his social media yet, <laughs> but, but he's everywhere. And, and there can't be a whole lot of Rob Commodore, Com Commodari. Is it Commodari? Right. Um, it sounds like you're saying Ori, kind of like it might be that Boston accent. Commodari. <laughs> I, I mean, I can get Italian. I say Commodari. <laughs> there you go. So, Rob, thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Everybody go follow Rob on all the social media platforms and have an awesome day. Rob, thank you so much. And we'll just hang with me. I'm going to end the live stream. Everybody go follow Rob everywhere. Rob, thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it.